Church family, good morning. Welcome. It's good to be together and it's good to worship. I hope your life, your home, your family are all well. I'm excited about the journey we're on. Head to heart. This is an incredible study series. I'm looking forward to sharing this with you. But first things first, let's begin with a riddle. How about that? Uh, what two partners live less than two feet apart, but never meet? Now, this riddle comes from beloved author and pastor David Jeremiah. What two partners live less than two feet apart, but never meet? They're both CEOs of vast organizations with overlapping jurisdictions. They communicate instantly and work in perfect coordination. One would perish without the other. One specializes in intellectual pursuits all day long while the other pumps iron. These two allies work tirelessly for a lifetime without ever taking a vacation or a day off. Even the slightest interruption of their labor would be catastrophic, so they never sleep. They're both exactly the same age, inhabit the same territory, and never rest. Their combined efforts keep us alive and well. I am talking, of course, about your brain and your heart. They both oversee complex systems that are necessary for life, the nervous system and the circulatory system. From before our birth until the moment we go to be with the Lord, they're on the job. But the relationship between the head and the heart is not merely physiological. The Bible speaks of the brain as the center of our thinking and has much to say about the condition of our minds. The heart represents our affections and, and our emotions and our personality. And sometimes it's hard, challenging to get a message from our minds, from our heads to our hearts. It's possible to have head knowledge of God's word and of God's truth without that knowledge ever filtering down to heart knowledge. So today, we face this challenge head on. Today, we begin a journey to embrace some scriptures that teach us God's truth concerning how to move from the head to the heart. We begin in Ephesians chapter 1 as we consider something as simple as a prayer. Yes, a first century prayer becomes the first way that we move from our head to our heart. The, the message of this prayer uh, teaches us how God's truth awakens our passion. We need not look at, at faith and, and our practice of walking by faith as merely built on knowledge. We need to understand from God's truths how knowledge in our head needs to work its way out through our heart. And this is an exciting journey. So I invite you into Ephesians chapter 1 as we discover a truth that awakens our passion. And, and this discovery again, comes from a prayer. I'd like to show this prayer to you from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 16, 17, and 18. 
I have not stopped giving thanks for you, writes the Apostle Paul. Uh, These words are epistolary in nature. These words represent a letter, a correspondence. Paul writes this letter and then quickly shifts into a prayer. And his prayer is this. I've never stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I I keep asking God to give you a a spirit of wisdom and, and revelation. Oh, I pray that you'll focus on these words. Paul prayed for the first century Christians that they would have a spirit of wisdom and revelation, but not just to develop head knowledge. No, I pray that the eyes of your heart would become open so that you may know. There are many instances in our lives where the the pursuit of knowing references how we think and and how we process thoughts. But all oh, the, the word of God, the truth of God's holy scripture awakens our hearts uh, with a passion for him. If we will allow his truth to move from from head to heart. So let's look at this prayer and more specifically, the the emphasis of this prayer as we as we discover how to move from from head to heart, as we discover how truth should awaken our passion, our, our desire, our, our enthusiasm, our, our hunger to know God and to know Jesus and to live for our Lord with, with incredible energy and incredible excitement. Oh yes, we need to move from the, the mere cerebral, the mere mind, the mere thought to, to a heart that is inflamed with a passion for Jesus Christ. It was the Apostle Paul that told young Timothy, a fan to flame your, your calling, your, your life of following after Jesus. So I pray that as we begin to open our hearts more deeply to God's truth, that we'll feel a flame in our hearts. I pray that we'll not just feel like we've received information. God's not interested in you and I just cataloging information. Oh, he is desiring that our hearts become a flame with with his truth so that we're pursuing him and, and we're loving him and, and loving others well. So, so let's look at this prayer. We'll engage the, uh, the, the realities of this prayer that will help us to make that move from head to heart. So the first uh, reality we engage with is the, the prayer itself. And we're going to unpack this, but first we just need to see the prayer as God has given this prayer on the pages of scripture and, and the prayer becomes evident beginning in verse 15, uh, as, as we read earlier. For this reason, I, I've heard about your faith in the Lord and your love for God's people, and I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you a spirit of, of wisdom and revelation. The prayer expresses two entreaties, two uh, Two thoughts and, 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 and two expressions of intercession to God on behalf of the writer, the Apostle Paul. Now, this is a first century letter, as we've already said, and, and the letter becomes this incredible expression of intercession and prayer uh, with, with two entreaties. The first entreaty, the first appeal of this prayer uh, becomes referenced uh, in verse 16 of not stop giving thanks for you. The thanks is built upon verse 15, wherein we see 
the success of living for Christ uh, evidenced in the lives of the Ephesian Christians. Uh, Paul uh, wrote in verse 15, I've, I've heard about your faith in Jesus, your love for the, for the people of God. So you see evidence of, of the Old Testament Shema here, the Shema. Paul, Paul writes, I see your love for God and your love for others. And so Paul recognizes, at least in the framework of Christian faith, that there was great success in their lives as they were living in their commitment for Jesus. So, so the first entreaty of this prayer referenced in verse 16 uh, is this. I've not stopped giving thanks for you in all of my prayers as I remember you. The, the, the word prayer is plural, demonstrating that Paul prayed a lot. Paul was certainly a, a figure in the scriptures of, of intense prayer and deep devotion to to supplication and interceding on behalf of others. And Paul prays for the Ephesian Christians a prayer that will later be proven uh, very relevant for you and for me. But this prayer has the entreaty of thanksgiving first of all. But there's a second entreaty here, a second appeal in the prayer from verse 17. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, looking in the actual translation of the scripture, and I really desire that you have the, the complete impact of God's word here. In verse 17, the, the New International Version translates, I keep asking that the God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. But but in the original text, the the verse actually begins with the the word that we translate that. So you would actually read from verse 16. I, I remember you in my prayers. I keep praying for you that God would, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. I love this very simple connecting word that from the Greek word henna, which actually can indicate purpose. But when used in the context of a prayer, indicates content. So what Paul, led by God's hand, is about to do in verse 17 is to demonstrate the content of his prayer. So let's move there second. The second reality of this prayer we engage with, having looked at the prayer itself with those two entreaties, praising God for the strong faith of the Ephesians and then asking that God would, would do something unique in their life, we now turn to the content of the prayer. And the content of the prayer is pretty clear. As recorded here in verse 17, the content references Paul's request to God that the Ephesian Christians would would have a spirit of of wisdom and revelation so that they may know God better and that they may know Christ better. So actually, the content of this prayer references three priorities, wisdom, revelation and then the result of the two, that they would know God better. The, the idea of wisdom here is not exclusively knowledge, but includes knowledge in the sense of an, of, of an intellectual knowledge or a thoughtful knowledge. But this wisdom references insight already gained through knowledge that becomes practical and lived out. Biblical wisdom does not reference simply a, a, a catalog of information. Wisdom references knowledge that leads to application and a changed life. And so when Paul prays that the first century Christians in Ephesus 
would have a spirit of wisdom. He prays that their their inner man would be transformed. For this is the indication of the word spirit, that their inner man through the Holy Spirit would be changed because of the wisdom that that they can have in their lives from having known the truths of God. Uh, Knowledge always or, or at least should always lead to this wisdom of God, this application of God's truth. In fact, if I could map wisdom for you for just a moment from the scriptures, there's just a few places we would drop a red pen to, to note the, the, the meaning of wisdom as we see it played out in all of scripture. I would drop a pen in Proverbs chapter one, verse seven, the, the book about wisdom, obviously the practical wisdom that is lived out as we respond to the truth of God. Uh, Proverbs one, seven expresses this, the, 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 the beginning of knowledge is is the fear of God. But the man who despises wisdom is foolish. The Proverbs always give this couplet where the first thought leads to the second. So, so the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs 1-7 states. But the man that despises wisdom, he's foolish. Why? Because knowledge always leads to wisdom. Now, if we uh, move from that definition of wisdom into the New Testament, we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. We need to drop a red pen here as we map out the idea of biblical wisdom. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, we read this. But from him, you are in Jesus Christ, who has become the wisdom of God. This is a powerful statement. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's Wisdom. How do we know this? Well, I would drop another red pen to understand uh, biblical wisdom uh, down in First Corinthians chapter two, verse twelve. Now we have not received a spirit of the world, but we've received a spirit, the Holy Spirit from God, so that we might know what God has given to us. So the knowledge of God and His truth applied to our lives leads us to the wisdom of God, which is fulfilled in Jesus so that we can know what God has given us, what God has done for us. This leads us now back to our present context in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8, which we read, God has lavished on us His grace and His forgiveness and His redemption with all wisdom and understanding. So God's activity in our lives through Jesus informs us of how his truth becomes lived out in us in that way. God's wisdom, God's wisdom has sent Christ and only through the sacrifice of Jesus can we be made right with God and have his peace and his joy and his forgiveness. So while one may say, I know what the Bible says about forgiveness We can only, in wisdom, understand that forgiveness when that forgiveness has been received by faith into our lives. So while one may say, I I know that God forgives, we truly know He forgives when in the wisdom of Christ, we receive that forgiveness. So biblical wisdom is is the goal of of what we know about God. So while we, we know the truths of God, we can't stay at knowledge. We can't stay at head knowledge. We must... Receive by faith in Christ the truth of God so that our lives are changed. Jesus is that wisdom. So the content of the prayer Paul prayed for the first century Christians and the prayer that is suitable for you and for me today is is that we would have a spirit, the Holy Spirit working in our inner man 
to give us God's wisdom manifested in Jesus so that we're living out the truth of God because of our faith and commitment to Christ. And so the content of this prayer references wisdom, but also it references revelation that you may have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Now, the word for revelation is apocalypsis from where we derive our term apocalyptic, meaning to reveal. And obviously, the book of Revelation is an apocalyptic literature referencing that which is revealed. And Paul prayed for the first century church and for you and for me that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And the meaning and message of revelation as a spirit that truly changes us and moves head knowledge to heart knowledge indicates that which God desires to open our eyes to. The psalmist said, oh, Lord, open my eyes that I may know your word and your truth. And so uh, wisdom indicates the knowledge of God becoming real in our lives through Jesus. And revelation indicates what our what our hearts are open to as we know more of God through our relationship with Christ. So this, is a, this is a powerful message of the content of prayer that we would have Knowledge that becomes wisdom through trusting Jesus so that God's revelation helping us to understand more of him through Christ becomes a reality in our lives. And so we've looked at the prayer and we've looked at the content of the prayer and the content of the prayer was Paul simply petitioning God on behalf of the first century Christians that they would know God more and would know him more intimately and knowing God Intimately is in large part dependent upon us. We are brought into a fellowship with him, but oh, we must, we must hunger for him and seek him and, and desire to walk in fellowship with Jesus so that we can know him more. This is indeed the movement from head knowledge to heart knowledge. Uh, Jim Elliott, one of the five uh, individuals um, who, who died while ministering to the Wadani tribe, speared to death in, in an unimaginable way, had this statement in his journal, which, which I think proves why he could stand the test of his trials and even become martyred while he ministered the gospel to others. And he wrote this about knowing God. To give oneself to God, what more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness of pleasure, and sheer excitement of knowing God more and loving him more. I pray, along with Paul, that you would know the sheer excitement and joy of knowing God more, not gaining and cataloging more information about God, but knowing God more in, in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So now I'd like to turn to a third reality of this prayer, the, the relevance of the prayer. Now, when, when I look at the whole context of this chapter, I'm reminded of why we need to consider the people that were hearing and receiving this prayer from Paul, that they would know God more, that they would have wisdom and, and revelation that would allow the eyes of their hearts to be open to know him more. But this is a relevant prayer not only for the first century church, but for you and for me. Why is this? Because follow this for just a moment. If you're reading the, the whole of, of Ephesians chapter 1, this, this is what we discover. Beginning in verse 3, uh, Paul wrote, 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And then those blessings are listed uh, beginning with uh, verse four and following. Uh, he, he chose us to be holy and blameless. He, he adopted us through Jesus Christ for the, for the good pleasure of his will. Uh, he, he redeemed us through his blood and, and he has forgiven our sins and, and he has lavished his grace on us. Do you, do you hear those blessings? These blessings reference the, the general view of, of every believer who's ever placed their faith in Jesus. These are the blessings that are ours. These are the blessings that are laid upon the church. The, the emphasis of the whole letter of, of Ephesians was to remind the church of her identity as the church. And, and, and a significant expression of our identity as, as followers of Jesus is that these blessings have, have become ours. But, but notice how we find even more relevance when we, when we continue reading because in verse 13, Paul writes, and you also were included in Christ. And that word, you also, references uh, the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Paul writes, we have spiritual blessings. And he, he is coming from the standpoint of, of not just being a Jew, but being one who is following Christ and, and an apostle. But then Paul peers out with eyes of faith to his readership to consider that there are those there who, who were not Jewish, those who likely felt unworthy to, to be called a part of, of, of God's flock and God's people. And Paul writes, not only have we experienced spiritual blessings, but you too, you too have been included in these blessings. Why is this prayer for, for spiritual wisdom and, and revelation to move us to our hearts being open to know God more? Why is this so relevant to us? Because God has blessed us with spiritual blessings. He has included us. This is about a relationship. Nowhere in these spiritual blessings do you see any point of legalism listed. What you read are benefits based on the relationship we have. So we're in a relationship with, with God Almighty, with the King of the universe. And oh, how we need to keep that relationship and that knowing of Him personally as the priority of our walk of faith. Now we move to the last the last reality of this prayer, the purpose of the prayer. And this takes us to verse 18 and 19, where we close. Verse 18, and I pray that the eyes of your heart will be enlightened, will be opened, that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of the glorious inheritance in his holy people and the incomparable, verse 19, great power for us who believe. The purpose of the prayer is that the eyes of our heart would be open. Uh, more literally translated, that the eyes of our heart would be enlightened. Uh, the idea of, of knowing God personally. The idea of knowing him as the end of verse 17 indicates with this really unique word, epignosis, meaning not just a gnosis, knowing him with, with uh knowledge and information, but epignosis, knowing him uh, in a way that transcends a head knowledge, knowing him personally and intimately. This all becomes real and, and fervent in verse 18, that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that the eyes of your heart would be open. In the scripture, the word heart, particularly in the, in the New Testament, is, is, is referenced many, many times, uh, well over 150 times, the the, the word heart is, is used. 
52 of those references are made by Paul. and Six of those are made here in Ephesians. And when I look at the repetition of the word heart used in the New Testament, none of the references indicate the physical organ. They all indicate either the seat of affection and emotion or the seat of the will and, and volition. The, the ultimate meaning of heart references the core of man. And we know that Jeremiah the prophet once said, oh, the heart is desperately sick. Jesus even taught this in Luke six forty five: A good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so we stand in desperate need of, of our heart, the core of our being, the seed of our emotions, our soul. We stand in desperate need of it being changed and brought to life. The, the old theological term is regenerated. And, and once God has changed us from the inside as our faith is placed in Jesus, then that very core of us should lead the way of our lives, truly speaking, to know God more and to honor Him. Yes, there's nothing wrong with head knowledge. But, but there's everything wrong with head knowledge simply staying head knowledge. Oh, that knowledge must become the wisdom of God in Christ as our hearts passionately seek to pursue God and to know Him more and to know Christ more in our daily journey of faith. Oh, the purpose of the prayer was that the eyes of our heart, our core, our inner man, that that our our faith and our hope in Christ would be open even wider to know the essence of Jesus and to, and to know him more and to honor him uh, with our lives. Oh, I pray that today you're hearing what Paul prayed for the church many years ago. And I pray that you'll position your hearts to, to receive God's truth as a result of what Paul prayed for the church, both then and now, because God's word remains timeless. And oh, I, I pray that your heart is open to know God more, to know Christ more. Yes, study. Go through the effort and discipline of increasing your understanding and knowledge of God and of, of Christ and of the gospel and of, of God's holy word. But do not be satisfied with a head knowledge. Do not simply build a catalog of information. Allow the knowledge to lead you to the wisdom of God in Christ so that your heart is constantly pursuing and chasing after Jesus Christ with every breath that you make. I'd like to close with a quote from A.W. Tozer. Uh, listen to these words. We can prove our faith by our commitment to it and no other way. Any belief that does not command the one who holds it is not a real belief. It is only a pseudo-belief. It might shock some of us profoundly if we were suddenly brought face to face with our beliefs and forced to test them in the fires of our practical living. How can we know for certain that we are truly seeking after the heart of Christ? Does your faith become evident in your practical living? Or have you been tempted to build a a compartment where there might be a Sunday compartment where I come and learn about God and learn about the things of faith, but then that compartment becomes sealed as I live the rest of my week according to the culture or my own whims and own agendas and desires. H have you fallen to the temptation of compartmentalizing? Or is there proof in the practical activity of your daily life that Jesus Christ is your number one love, that you're pursuing Him 
over all things. Oh, I pray that you will have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to better know God's truth as the eyes of your heart are open to seek after Jesus Christ and to seek him with all of your heart. Yes, from the head to the heart. This is not only our journey. This is not only a teaching series. This is our daily challenge. And I pray that your heart is open, that you may know Jesus Christ and know him better every day. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for teaching us your holy and precious word. And Father, now we ask you to guide us from this time of study to live not just by knowledge, but by your wisdom made known to us through Christ. Help us to, Father, not just to see truth in the Bible, but to understand from Jesus how to live out that truth in a way that reflects him and, and your glory manifested in him. Oh, Father, may we honor you as we live from head to our heart and in our commitment out to the world. And I pray this in Jesus' name. And together we say Amen. Thanks for joining us today. It's been a great day of worship. I look forward to seeing you next Sunday, if not sooner. If you need to speak to someone about what it means to follow Christ, you know the scripture says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we will be saved from our sin. And I invite you every, every week, I give you this invitation that feels so fresh in my heart each time that I extend this invitation. But the invitation is really from our Lord, from Jesus. And God loves you so much, and He doesn't desire that you go forward with a cold understanding of, of truth or of knowledge. He, he desires that your heart is open so that, that you can know His love made available through Jesus Christ. So that if you'd like to talk to someone about what it means to know Jesus, uh, there is a website location right here. And if you want to know more, we're here for you. We're ready to respond. Hey, again, love you a lot. See you soon. God bless. Thank you.